Welcome to Mentioned in Dispatches, the podcast from the Western Front Association, with me, Dr Tom Thorpe. The WFA is the UK's largest Great War History Society. We are dedicated to furthering understanding of the Great War and have over 60 branches worldwide. For more information, visit our website at westernfrontassociation.com. It is the 25th of January 2021 and this is episode 192. On today's programme, I talk to American historian and author Stephen L. Harris about his research into three American army units drawn from the New York area and their service in the First World War. The three units are drawn from distinct backgrounds and areas of New York and all represent important chapters in the story of America in the Great War. This interview covers Stephen's recent book, Duffy's War, that looks at the wartime service of the US 69th Infantry. This book is published by Potomac Books. Stephen spoke to me over the interweb from his home in, in Phoenix, Arizona, USA. Stephen, welcome to the Dispatches podcast. Could you start by telling us about yourself and how you became interested in the Great War? Yes, Tom. Uh, I am a journalist and a freelance uh, writer. Uh, I started out uh, on a newspaper in Connecticut, a weekly newspaper, and, and worked my way up. And eventually I got one of the great jobs in corporate America. I was the editor of the General Electric Corporate Magazine, and I was able to cover the Jack Welch Revolution. As you may know, he was one of the most revered or hated CEOs in the country back in the 1980s and early 90s. But uh, he was quite a dynamic figure, and I was thrilled to be uh, the editor of the magazine and to cover his revolution. Uh, But then I left to write a book on the Olympics, and I wrote a book for the U.S. Olympic team called 100 Golden Olympians, which honored in 1996 the 100 greatest American Olympic champions uh, as part of the 100th anniversary of the modern Olympic Games. And when I finished that, I I found all these letters that my great uncle had written from the Western Front, uh, and I started reading them, and I said, by golly, there's a story here. So I researched uh, his regiment, which was the old 7th Regiment out of New York City, and wrote uh, my first book of my National Guard trilogy of New York City. Uh, on today's podcast, we're going to be talking about the U.S. 69th Infantry Brigade. Before we start, could you could you explain why this is important to cover this particular unit? Uh, yes, I will. Uh, one of the things that's interesting, at least for me, is that during World War One, the United States sent over two million men to, uh, to fight with the Allies, and three quarters of those men saw combat. And New York State had the most men, close to 400,000. That's one quarter of all the troops that went overseas. And, and the closest state was Pennsylvania, which had about 300,000. And New York sent two full divisions, and I will get into uh, how a division is made up and regiment is made up so that uh, uh, you're your listeners can get a a sense of what that is. But uh, along with two divisions, New York also sent two regiments, uh, the Fighting 69th, which I wrote about, uh, Duffy's War, and the 369th, which was the African-American regiment out of Harlem. And and so uh, I felt that it was important that people knew uh, what New York City and the New York State had had, uh, done to help win uh, World War I. And one of the most famous battalions that came out of New York City was the Lost Battalion, which uh, got lost in the Meuse-Argonne and became very, very famous and survived. Now, before we start, um, the 69th Regiment was a National Guard unit based in New York. Could you tell us, tell our European audience what the National Guard is and how it was organised in 1914? Yes, the National Guard unit is basically a militia of citizen soldiers who are 
raid to protect their hometown and surrounding area. You know, back in the 1700s, the National Guardsmen were called Minutemen because when danger approached, they could be called to arms in a minute. I always thought that was kind of interesting. The name National Guard didn't come into use until the mid-1800s. And how that happened was uh, General Lafayette from France, who was uh, had come over and helped uh, fight in the Revolutionary War, came over to the United States around 1820s and the 1820s for a farewell tour. And one of the guardsmen that were going, or the, the troops that were going to uh, escort him around New York City was the old 7th Regiment. And as they were escorting him, they heard that he commanded the French National Guard. And they said, holy smoke, let's uh, call ourselves 7th Regiment National Guard. And that's how the National Guard phrase came into being because New York picked it up and then it spread across the entire United States. So the National Guard is really a militia. So let's talk about the demographic and social makeup of the 69th prior to the Great War. What part of New York did this particular unit recruit uh, its members from? Well, the, the 69th Regiment formed in 1849 by a bunch of Irishmen who wanted to kick the Brit out of Ireland and they didn't know how to fight. And so they figured if they could form their own regiment and learn how to fight like soldiers, they could go back to uh, uh, Ireland and uh, have some kind of impact in pushing the British out. So they were formed in 1849 and then in 1961 the British Crown Prince came over to the United States and he was escorted up Broadway and all the National Guard units in the state of New York were supposed to trail behind him and the 69th said no way. There was no way the Irish Regiment of New York was going to march behind the British Prince and the commanding officer of the regiment court-martial and just as he was getting ready to set the Civil War started and he led the Irish Brigade uh, the 69th out of New York City and they fought in the first battle of the Civil War uh, bull run down in Virginia and he was captured his name was Michael Corcoran he was captured and then was released and came back to New York formed another regiment but his horse reared up and he fell down and killed uh, but the 69th fought in all the battles of the, all the major battles of the Civil War and the commanding general of the Confederate forces Robert E. Lee watching them fight said that's the fighting 69th and that's how they got their nickname the fighting 69th they came back they fought in the in the spanish-american war and then of course they fought in uh the world war one but they also fought in world war ii and they fought in afghanistan they fought in desert storm and they're still an active unit now what what, what part of new york community did they draw their men from from the irish neighborhoods mostly and from the surrounding area of new york city that also had irish uh residents and they all wanted to be part of, of the 69th Regiment. And so the 69th was, until World War One basically an Irish Catholic unit. Now, in 1917, America enters the war. Did the 69th see a large influx of volunteers into its ranks? And did these uh, new recruits match the, the profile of their pre-war comrades? It did, in fact. Uh, what happened was the uh, U.S. War Department decided to increase the size of a regiment. Now, a regiment back then consisted of about 2,000 men. The uh, War Department said they want to now have 3,600 men. So the 69th was short of men, and the War Department said, okay, we are going to send over to your uh, armory 350 soldiers from other regiments in New York City. And 350 guys from the old 7th Regiment had marked down Lexington Avenue in New York, 69th Regiment Armory. And when, get, when, when they got there, the 69th played to them, welcome to an Irishman shanty. And in came the soldiers, hardly any of them were Irish, hardly any of them were Catholic, and that was the beginning of the change, the makeup of the 
night. And uh, Father Francis Duffy, who was the chaplain, said, I have to embrace this change. And indeed he did. And today, if you look at the 69th Regiment makeup, a lot of them are African-American and Latino. I mean, there are still a number of Irish, and they're keeping their Irish tradition, playing the bagpipe, for example, wearing kilt. And it's interesting to see African-Americans and Latinos, you know, dressed up in the Irish garb. Now, just for our European uh, audience, could you tell us how many battalions are in a regiment? And is a regiment deployed as a complete unit within the U.S. divisional structure at this time? Uh, yes, it is. A regiment is composed, as I mentioned earlier, of 3,600 men. It is made up of three battalions, and in each battalion are four companies. Each company co- comprises about 250 men. There's also a head- headquarters company and a hospital uh, group. Uh, there are four regiments that make up a uh, infantry division, along with artillery and other support units in the division. And so a U.S. division back in World War One consisted of about 26 to 30,000 men, almost double the size of a, divi- a French division and an English division. So they were quite quite large. So on the outbreak of war, the 69th Division is sent to France and it's renumbered the 165th Infantry Regiment. But we'll keep, we'll, we'll keep calling it the 69th for clarity. And it becomes part of the 42nd Infantry Division of the American Expeditionary Force. Could you tell us what actions um, the 69th was involved in on its deployment front in 1917 and 1918? Yes, uh, it, it really didn't get deployed when it got over late in uh, 1917 and spent Christmas uh, outside of the Vosages Mountain. And then, then they, the day after Christmas, they had a march to a place called Rouge Bouquet, which was in the mountain. And they marched four days in one of the worst snowstorms that of, 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 in history uh, in France. And it was so bad that soldiers were falling out as they had to march. Their boots fell apart, but they made it to the Vosages to a place called, as I said, Rouge Bouquet. There they went into the trenches to learn trench warfare because that's all it was. You know, back in those days they were fighting in, in the trenches. And what's interesting, the Americans hardly ever fought trench, but they learned how to fight in the trench. And while they were there, uh, a German artillery shell uh, caved in one of the uh, uh, places that the soldiers were housed, and they were uh, entombed. And they lost, that was the first casualties of the, of the 69th. And uh, it was terrible to lose all these men. There was about 30 guys that smothered death. Uh, one of the soldiers... 69th was a famous poet named Joyce Kilmer. And a lot of people think Joyce Kilmer is a woman, but he was a guy, all right. He was a sergeant in the 69th, and he wrote a poem called In the, in the Woods They Called Rouge Bouquet. And it was about the slaughter. And Father Duffy gave a sermon on St. Patrick's Day, March 17th, to the fallen soldier. And one thing about Joyce Kilmer, which I should say, is he's famous for a poem called Tree. And I think that I will just read the opening two lines and the closing two lines of this poem because I think a lot of your listeners will remember this poem. And it begins, I think that I shall never see a poem lovely as a tree. Poems are made by fools like me, but only God made trees. From Rouge Bouquet, the uh, soldiers went to the Champagne region of France. And there, the Germans uh, launched their final offensive of the war across the Marne River. And in the Champagne re- region, uh, the 69th came under its first major attack. And they uh, they stopped the Germans, crossed the Orc River. And there they had one of the bloodiest battles of the war as far as the 69th was concerned or the 42nd uh, Rainbow Division. And a lot of men were killed that were very uh, uh, crucial to the 69th, including Joyce Kilmer. He had become an aide to Wild Bill Donovan, the commanding officer of 1st Battalion. And he, he went up ahead to see what was going on and he got shot in the forehead and died. And he's buried right on the bank of the Ork River, Joyce Kilmer. From there, uh, the uh, 69th went
went to St. Miel and Donovan called it a walk. Juven Germans had pulled back and that battle was uh, fairly easy for them. And then, of course, from there they went into the Meuse-Argonne and fought uh, some deadly battles, a fight. And there, uh, Wild Bill Donovan wounded and uh, he was awarded later the uh, Congressional Medal of Honor, which is the highest uh, American award for valor. And after the war, uh, when, when the armistice was signed, the 69th went into Germany as an occupation army and didn't come back to the United States until the spring of 1919. Now, two of the central characters of your book are people that you've already mentioned, which are, fat, which are Father Patrick Duffy and also the commander of the 1st Battalion, Colonel Wild Bill Donovan. Could you tell us about um, them and what they did and why, why they're such a central, why, uh, why, sorry, why they are so central to your book? Well, first of all, uh, Wild Bill Donovan, uh, he was from Buffalo, New York, which is upstate uh, uh, on the Canadian border. And uh, he, when he was born, he was the, the first of, of uh, his children, siblings survived. Uh, for, the first four, first four died, and he survived. And he decided he wanted to become a priest, but instead he became a lawyer. And he was in the National Guard in the Buffalo area. Uh, his brother, uh, younger brother, obviously became a priest. Uh, when in 1916, when Pancho Villa invaded the United States, uh, President Woodrow Wilson federalized the National Guard and sent it down to the Mexican border to make sure uh, Pancho Villa did not. Uh, come back into the United States. And while he was down there, he became friends with Father Duffy in the 69th. And he was transferred into the 69th Regiment in 1916 uh, that year and became one of the leaders of the regiment. So much so that uh, Father Duffy wanted him to be the commanding officer of the entire regiment. But the War Department had other plans. And so they brought in non-Catholic, non-Irish men to command the regiment. And there was a lot of uh, Irish soldiers who were upset. But uh, Father Duffy finally got his wish and got uh, Bill Donovan to be the commander of the regiment. But that happened after the war. But Donovan led the regiment back home. But later on, Donovan became famous because he was the founder of the Central Intelligence Agency during World War II, uh, which was called the OSS at that time. And uh, uh, that's how he became so famous. And he's called, he's been called America's by man. Father Duffy, Canadian. Uh, his parents were from Ireland, but uh, they, they immigrated Canada. He was born there, became a priest, and he came to New York City where uh, he became a teacher at the uh, St. Joseph Seminary in Yonkers, New York, which is a suburb of New York City. And there he taught uh, Catholicism, and he was a progressive. And the Catholic Church, including the Pope, did not like his teaching. And they didn't like the progressive teachers of the seminary. So he was banished from teaching. And he was sent to a small parish in the Bronx, New York, which is at that time was a real was the backwoods of New York City. It is today, but it was then. And he found a store where he opened his parish. And he there there he was. He was parish, uh, parishioner in a small place in the Bronx, exiled being the teacher that he wanted to be. And then in, uh, in, when the Spanish-American War started out, he was asked to become the chaplain of the Fighting 69th. And when the 69th came to New York at, back in the Spanish War, he went down there to uh, take care of the wounded troop. And uh, he was, that's the way it was. So obviously, uh, when the war broke out, and then he became perhaps the most famous priest in the United States. To this day, his statue towers over Times Square, New York City. And that was his last parish before he died, uh, was, was uh, Broadway, Times Square, and Hell's Kitchen, New York. And 
he is one of the most honorable, uh, most honored uh, priests this day in America. And I do want to say one thing about Father Duffy. At the end of the war, when the armistice was signed, uh, Father Duffy wrote in his diary, and I want to read it to you. He said, I knew in New York that in every city at home and throughout the world, men were jubilant. But I could think of nothing except the fine lads who had come out with us to this war and who are not alive to enjoy the triumph. All day I had a lonely and aching heart. It would be a lesser thing to have been killed myself than to go back to the mothers of the dead who would never more return. And I just, that's in my book. And I just, I, I wanted to, to uh, cite that, that statement by Father Duffy. Now we see that the 69th is honoured in celluloid. 1914, James Cagney uh, portrays Donovan in the film, surprisingly named The Fighting 69th. How accurate was this portrayal? Uh, it wasn't. Uh, actually, uh, it, uh, Pat Bryant, Pat O'Brien played Father Duck, and he was credible. I think he, as, as, a, as a priest, he was credible. He was a, he was a good uh, Father Duffy. Uh, but Donovan and even the guy that played Joyce Kilmer was all too far-fetched. Uh, at least that's my opinion. I'm sure there's other people say, no, no, that was the way it was. But I, I think it was too far-fetched. Uh, um, um, one, one thing I should have asked is, is, is the level of casualties at the 69th um, sustained during the war. How many men did they lose fighting in France? They lost close to uh, six or seven hundred men. Uh, wounded uh, and, and don't forget a lot of, a lot of soldiers, not just in the 69th, died from the Spanish flu uh, that just, you know, swept through Europe and, well, swept through the entire world for that matter. But uh, uh, they lost about 700 men. Uh, you know, about I'd say uh, one third of their, of their fighting force. And something you've alluded to already is that certainly many members of the 69th in the 19th century had strong, very sort of nationalist feelings about Irish independence. How did the Irish members of the 69th feel and, and perceive the Easter Rising? How did they view this um, and, and sort of in correspondence with their sort of aims of fighting for democracy and the um, and the and the rights of small nations? Well, they, they, they cheered the, the uprising without a doubt. And a lot of them wanted to go over to uh, Ireland and, and get involved in, in what was going on over there. But they couldn't go because they had to go they were, they had to stay with the regiment and then they went overseas obviously and fought but when they came back 19 in 1919 a number of them went to France and one I went to I'm sorry went to Ireland and and one of them was a guy named uh, Proudy and uh, he went over there and he started uh, the Irish West Point while he was over there Ireland West Point and so there were a number of soldiers Irish soldiers that went over uh, and got involved with trying to get uh, Ireland its independence you've alluded to it already but the um, I take it that the 69th still exists today and is still an active service unit of the United States Armed Forces. That's absolutely correct. And I've been very, very fortunate to be uh, invited as an honorary member of 69th. And one of the things that the 69th does, every St. Patrick's Day in New York City, it leads uh, all the uh, Irish uh, citizens up uh, Fifth Avenue as part of the great St. Patrick's Day parade. And it had been doing that for over 100 years because non-Irish people would throw things at them when they marched in the parade. And so the 69th was given the honor of leading it to keep the, anybody from pelting uh, the march. And when you march along, and I marched along with them, and the sidewalks are lined up, people are cheering them. And the thing that struck me the most is when I first marked, the 69th had just come back from Afghanistan, and they had lost 18 men. And one of the things about a National Guard unit, more than a federal unit, is the National Guard soldiers are made up of hometown boys. And so 
somebody gets killed, that's the guy that you're your best friend. That's the guy or the sister you used to date. In the federal army, they're come from all over the United States. So it was quite a moving march with these soldiers in their uniform and listen to them uh, shout out the order, marched up uh, Fifth Avenue. And then they got on a subway train to bring them back to their armory. And the train had Irish flags all over it. And a thousand guys got on that train, came back to the armory where everybody was waiting. The bagpipes were playing. And it's extraordinary. Uh, just, it just it gives you goosebumps to see that. And the regiment still active today. And it was at, at, at 9-11, it went down to uh, uh, where the Twin Towers were. Uh, and they were told not to go. But the commanding officer said, this is my city. I'm going down to Texas. And they still do that to this day. Finally, Stephen, where can people learn more about your book and also your work? Well, uh, I do have a website. People can go to my website. It's uh, Harris.com, all lowercase, and Stephen is spelt with a P-A. And uh, my books can be bought at uh, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, and uh, the, the University of Nebraska Press. Stephen, thank you very much for your time. Okay, thank you, Tom. I appreciate it. You have been listening to the Mentioned in Dispatches podcast from the Western Front Association with me, Tom Thorpe. Thank you for all my guests for appearing on this edition. The theme music for this podcast was George Butterworth's The Banks of Green Willow. It was performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, conducted by Chris Rusman and produced by Biz Records. This recording is part of a collection of orchestral works by Butterworth performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales and supported by the Western Front Association. This is available from all good record stores under the record code BIS2195. Until next time.